Welcome, Michael. Um, thanks Thank for joining us on this uh, warm Saturday. Happy to be here. Yeah. So I'd like to um, pick up on a topic of conversation that we've kind of started, but not, but not really gone anywhere with. And so originally, this um, our meeting today began in a question that I had about alternative lives that each one of us has a kind of alternative life or two that he would have led if he hadn't become a tutor. Mine was, I wanted to be David Attenborough, mm -hmm. right? That was my other career. But um, I was really um, provoked and fascinated by hearing from you that uh, you almost were a chef. And, um, and to hear that the gastronomic life was um, your alternate life was, um, provoked um, my thinking ab ab about how you thought about the relationship between, say, the good life and food, or the life of philosophy, even, and food. Um, and, and so thinking about that, I, I then asked you uh, what, we should, what you wanted to start with in this conversation, and, and you pointed to Plato's uh, lesser-known dialogue, the comedies, um, C-H-A-R-M-I-D-E-S, for those who haven't read it. Um, so, so the comedies is not a dialogue that many people know. Could you say um, something about what it is, what it's about? Yeah. Well, um, most generally, I, I want to think about how to live the best life possible for a human being. And Socrates, for Plato, seems to present that model. And um, two virtues, which may look at first at odds with one another, are moderation and courage. If, if you think about things too much on the battlefield, you'll, you probably won't make it off the battlefield. And um, so th there might be some tension between a kind of pausing and thinking things through and the, and the virtue of courage. With Socrates, I think they're perfectly blended. And that has to do with knowledge of ignorance. There's a courage to keep on pursuing the truth, even though you know that you're very limited and you'll never quite get there. Um, so. This particular dialogue is, uh, is about um, moderation or suffrasune. And um, it's strange. It doesn't talk much about what we normally understand as moderation, um, which means limitations on food, drink, and sex. It, 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 it's, about, it's ultimately about self-knowledge. But issues of moderation do come up in this dialogue, um, not on the level of the argument, but um, on the level of the action. Um, for example, Socrates gets very aroused when he sees a, a, a young boy and he's taken by surprise. So he's overcome in a way that makes it look like he has no moderation. But that moment um, somehow leads him to a pursuit of what it means to live a moderate life. And, and the dialogue is, is fascinating for me in that way. Mm. Hmm. Now, this, this word moderation translates um, the Greek word suffrasune, um, which, you know, so to be modest is to be suffron. And, and suffrasune really comes from, well, um, it means something like safe or um, preserve, preserving mind. Um, so it's, it's a very hard word to translate. Yeah. And, um, so, but it's about somehow... Ultimately, it's about how to preserve the mind in such a way that you are always saying goodbye somehow to your 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 private self, um, the opinions. So so somehow you have to disregard the self in order to 
somehow preserve the mind at the same time. It's a, it's a strange and difficult journey in this dialogue to figure out what that means. Um, mm -hmm. Letting go of who you are in order to be able to um, gain some sort of self-knowledge, which is a very difficult thing. Um, at the core, there may be no self. This comes up in the dialogue. We might be completely derivative. Mm -hmm. um, everything about us might be about our parents in our society. So when we keep asking questions about it and we shed that those appearances aside, um, we wonder what, if anything, is left. And I think this dialogue is um, attempting to preserve or discover what is there at the core, even though we might not be able to ever fully articulate it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, the word sophrosune, that part of that word is is frain, isn't it? Mind. Yeah, yes. mind. But but frain is also like the, literally the diaphragm right. part. You know, so the ancient Greeks didn't uh, locate the mind in in the brain, but, right? But somewhere here, so so it's it's more of it's as much an affective center as it is a cognitive center, as I understand it. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's important in Plato because I don't think Plato, as many people do read Plato, there's a, a distinction between mind and body. I think for Plato, the body is the body is a is a thinking thing. We we think with our senses, we think with our passions. Um, it's it's not something that's purely cognitive. Um, touch has, um, and there's a great deal of talk about touch. Touch has a cognitive um, aspect to it, which so it, it's about the whole body and not not simply yeah, about the mind. Yeah, like when we don't touch a flame, for example, that is that's also the frame. You don't think about it, right? right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fascinating word and one that we don't. Um, consider that much, right? Because I'm thinking of the the richness of this word. Well, we see it, we see it in in Sophocles, right? In the in the tragedians, Sophosune is is one of the prime virtues, and it's posed against hubris, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and hubris is not is not pride, as as is often translated in in modern texts. You know, the the man is the man is hubristic, and so and so he falls. But hubris is 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 excess, you know, as you say, right. you know, letting yourself go wild. Right, right. and yeah. that and that's yeah. Socrates. I mean, yeah. he's 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 somehow moderate while being hubristic at the same time, and and um, he is always challenging and over trying to overthrow yes. something that um, he has been um, somehow pinned down to. Um, so mm -hmm. it, it, it's a it's a it, it's a kind of courage that looks like hubris. It's how, yeah, what, what is there a good translation of hubris? Something like uh, when you're hubristic, you're being a mensch, maybe. Uh, being a mensch, yeah. It's when you when you when you go for it, right? When you when right. you let loose, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I know so, in Homer, hubris is used for uh, like when a when a when a mule goes crazy and starts kicking, or when or when a river overflows, then it's hubris, hubrisane, right? When, right? And so when a when a hero kind of bursts out of convention and, and, and kills everyone. Right. That's that's hubris. Right? right. So how do you put that together with the kind of moderation right. one needs, um, an awareness of just how limited you are? Um, um, how, 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 what's the balance between yeah. those two? That's, that's a difficult question, in, I think, in all of Plato and his examination of Socrates. But I think you're right. It's, it's mm. there in, in Homer yeah. as well and yeah. in, the, in the plays and the tragedies. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the way you described um, Sophrosune as being to do with preserving your preserving your mind, right? At least like not losing your mind, right. as you were aware. It's it's a much better way of looking at it than 
let's um, say moderation, or sometimes it's translated restraint, right? Where it becomes a negative virtue, right? right? Yeah. So it's right. not you know as a negative virtue is unsexy, right? Right. So, I mean, that's the more standard way yeah. that people talk about it. You have to you have these desires, and they're they could be bad, and you want to resist them as much as possible. Somehow with Socrates, it's. Um, intelligent mind at work. It's a whole. It's not simply the intellect against one's desires. It's it's desiring intellect. And um, somehow your thinking is in accord with the right kinds of desires which make possible the very mm -hmm. best life um, mm -hmm. a human being can, can live. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not being at war with oneself in the way that you um, you have to fight off your, your urges for, um, for sex or for food or for drink. Um, right, right. It's having like balanced temperament, something yeah. something like that, um, and it's not clear how you get there if you're not already. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, perhaps it's it's already established in your nature, and it's something you can develop. But not not everyone can attain that sort of balance. Um, yeah, yeah. So some people might be just lucky. Some people and, and I, have and have moderation. But I think the way the way you described it, it makes it. Um, you know, it makes it makes it beyond luck, right? You know, so so if it's moderation, sure. then some people are luckily, you know, are lucky in being moderate uh, by temperament. But if um, but if it's more than moderation, if it's something like um, keeping your wits about you, or one might say something of mindfulness, right? Or being aware, right? It's I mean, ultimately yeah. in this dialogue, it's about self knowledge, yeah. and for Socrates, that means awareness of what you don't know. Um, mm -hmm. knowledge of ignorance. So you have to somehow um, always be challenging what you think you know, beca because you can never fully know yeah. it, because what that particular knowledge is about mm -hmm. is a part of a greater whole, and we can never, according to mm -hmm. Socrates, have knowledge of that whole. And therefore, we can't have accurate knowledge about the part. So um, we're severely limited in what we can understand about the world and about ourselves, and how do you live your life um, in such a way that that doesn't, um, when you're aware of that, that doesn't bring you down. What's what's the point? I can I can never know anything. Mm -hmm. There's a way in which Socrates is in full of enthusiasm for life, um, and I think even on his dying day, um, he he knows that he cannot philosophize any longer. He cannot um, be in an, in a body any longer, and um, he's seventy um, when he's being put to death, and he's um, lived a good life, and I think he knows that it's not going to get any better. It's probably just mm -hmm. going to get worse. So he's fully um, ready to face death, but he's still, there's a lingering awareness that um, this is the best thing possible to be having these conversations with my mm -hmm. friends, and I won't get to do it any longer. Mm -hmm. So it's a sort of humility, a kind of acceptance of the scale of things, acceptance of where you belong in the scale of things. Right. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so it's, it, a, a, as a kind of humility, it's a strange virtue. Once you speak, once you claim to have that virtue, it doesn't sound like you're being yeah. humble any longer. Mm -hmm. it's a, so it's a peculiar sort of virtue. What happens when you, when you begin to, to um, present yourself as someone who is humble? Um, there's something unspeakable in a way about this virtue, mm -hmm. which this dialogue tries tries to get at. I think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's very interesting. I I found myself thinking a lot recently about the four classical virtues: mm -hmm. right? the, um, justice, wisdom, courage, courage, 
and then and then sofro sunni, right? And, and again, when you tra- if one translator is moderation, right. it's kind of the less sexy than the other three. Mm-hmm. And but what you're saying now helps me to make more sense of it in a way. It's somebody, it's the virtue of somebody who has um, all their wits about them. Right. right. But we can never have all of our wits. We can, yeah, oh, right. and knows I mean, that. Right. And, and the body is, it, it keeps presenting itself here in blushes, in, um, in sexual arousal, mm-hmm. right? Um, showing you that, that you can never fully have your, there's always going to be surprises. And, and um, in fact, it's those surprises, those accidents that make learning possible. So, um, with, and without those accidents, um, there's not real thinking right, possible. Right, it, right. it has to be spontaneous. And there's something funny about the dialogue. It's so so tightly organized. How do you, um, you know, every step of the way is in complete control by Plato. How do you, how is it possible for Plato, and I think he does it, and that's part of his brilliance, to, to bring about spontaneity in such a tightly constructed work. And I, I, I think he's able to do that by surprising us mm-hmm. with um, our own prejudices and assumptions um, that we can then um, think about on our own. Um, yeah, yeah. So you're saying that part of the humility of Sophosune is that you don't know yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the person who thinks he does had better watch out. That's right. right. That's the most dangerous thing, to, to, to think that you know who you are is going to cut you off from um, being able to understand anything of importance, it seems. Yeah. And so it it's really is a, somehow you have to overcome what you think is true about yourself. Um, challenge it always. Um, some of it may be right, but um, a lot of it could be quite wrong. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is one reason why Socrates keeps... Um, bringing his interlocutors to a dead end kind of in their thinking, right? So that they, they, they keep crashing down. Right. Now, yeah. now it's interesting in this dialogue that he fails in yeah. some way. Um, the other uh, two main characters are, it's, it's Critias and Carmides. Critias turns out to be one of the 30 tyrants. Um, Carmides is a bloodthirsty tyrant at that time as well. So um, these two interlocutors who want to, who seem to take on Socratic philosophy, Critias is a follower of Socrates, um, but he understands something wrong about, um, completely wrong about what Socrates is doing. He's, he sees it as a project of control and power. So mm-hmm. it's finally knowledge of knowledge. It's this knowledge that stands outside of itself. And um, so it sounds as though Plato is suggesting that um, Socrates is not altogether innocent of the charges of corrupting the young. He's doing so right here. Um, it's it's um, their desire to understand him, but they understand him incorrectly that leads them to live a life of the tyrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, completely immoderate right. life. The, right. the, the opposite of moderation is, is something like tyrannical desire. Right, to do whatever you want. Yeah. Can you remind me about the 30 tyrants? Um, like, who were they? And well, they were actually, they were, um, so after uh, Sparta defeated Athens, the 30 tyrants were um, sort of puppets of the Spartan government, and they used their power um, to get rid of enemies and to um, benefit themselves in, in horrible ways that left lots of people dead and, mm-hmm. um, and poor and, and homeless. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's helpful. Um, so um, just to circle back then to... Um, to the question of Sophrosune and and the other virtues, right? So it seems that 
those those four primary virtues, what the Christians call the four pagan virtues, where mm -hmm. the classical virtues, justice, wisdom, courage, and sophrosune, it seems to make sense that anyone we admire has got to have those. Yes. Right. And it's hard to tell them apart in, in Socrates. I think finally what Plato shows us is courage properly understood is philosophy. Moderation properly understood is is philosophy, and and so so we have this sort of comprehensive and um, abstract sense of of what these virtues are. But when they're precisely understood, they're only found in certain human beings that we aspire mm -hmm. to to live up to in some way. But um, almost all of us will never be able to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's circle back about Sophusune. Um How does that relate to a good life? For you, for as as as, a, as as an embodied being, with with work, who eats, yeah, yeah, who has pleasures. It, that's a tough. I, I I want to live the good life, and I love living this life. I I love the life I have, but it's 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 very um, it's very busy. Mm -hmm. I have a I have a family. I have two young boys. I have friends. I like to eat and drink with friends. I um, somehow so I want it all, which sounds maybe tyrannical, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't have it all. So I have to figure out w ways to to create that sort of balance in my life where I can um, enjoy all of those things at the same time without diminishing too much what I'm able to mm -hmm. compart. Mentalize, um, but um, a, a great, a big part of my life is involved in food and drink. I love, I love. I had a colleague who, who across the seminar table once said that she doesn't understand people who will spend hundreds of dollars on a good meal with a friend. She'd rather um, buy a pair of these beautiful shoes, and and you know. You're just wasting your money on. But um, for me, sitting in a restaurant uh, or having a meal that I've cooked with a friend is probably um, the most wonderful experience I think you can have. And I'm ready to spend. So I'm, yeah. I can be quite immoderate, actually, when, when, it, when it comes to um, the kinds of food that I eat and, and the places that I go to dine. But for me, it's one of the most important things in my life. And so... Um, I'm not sure how moderate I am about it, but maybe that's not the kind of thing one should be moderate about. Mm -hmm. um, um, friendship, you mean, friendship, not food. Friendship yeah. and sharing yeah. food with a friend and exploring different kinds of foods with that friend. It's Finally, it, it, it's, it's all about wanting to understand what's outside of us or what is other mm -hmm. than us. And so we... Um, a good friend of mine will go to a nice restaurant and try to explore foods that we've never had before because we want to understand we want to understand the world and at the same time we're talking about um, these great books mm -hmm. and um, it's it's it doesn't get much better than that I think yeah, yeah. I, I remember once a friend of mine subscribed to the magazine Bon Appetit for me and well uh, I, I subscribed to that you too when I was a kid okay yeah, yeah. yeah and and you remember there was there's one section of it that was an interview with, mm -hmm. uh, usually with some celebrity chef. And you know, one, or actually just a celebrity actor or celebrity oh. thing. Yeah. And they, they were asked the question, like, 
things like what was your most memorable meal, right? And everyone would say, well, it was at you know Maxime's in Paris or you know some other famous restaurant, and and Chef X did the cooking, and we had this and this and this and this, mm -hmm. and it was completed with this wine, and and um, and it was all like boring, yeah, to me, right? And until one day, I read this thing. This interview with a 90-year-old 90, 90 French perfumier, right? And the interview took, pass, took place in his chateau. And they asked him what was the most memorable meal of his life. And, and so you expected something like Maxime's. But he said, well, it was after World War I, and food was very hard to come by in those days, and my mother made a strawberry tart for me. Mm. And that, that was where the, and the kind of Safrasune where the, the elements were, were balanced, right? It was, it was not only the food. Right. And, mm. and I worry about that. Mm. With me and with our culture, it's, it's, it's all available to us. We don't really mm. question it that much. And we, we don't appreciate how much work and how, how fortunate we are to be able to eat the kinds of things that are readily available yeah. to us. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes I, I wonder that even for myself, um, there's going to be one day when I feel like I've, I've tasted everything. Mm -hmm. um, there's not much more. It's, it's all so available that you, can, you don't have to travel the world anymore to get uh, some of these exquisite cuisines. Um, but then I have the books, and yeah. they will always be exotic to me, the, um, mm -hmm. the books that we read here. And yeah. um, I'll always appreciate how fortunate I am to be able to spend my life talking about these books with other people. Um, mm -hmm. it, um, yeah, but that, that's a yeah. poignant story about the, the tart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so moving to me. Yeah, yeah. so, so, so this, it, it seems that, okay, professionally, we live a very immoderate life. Right, the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of beauty. There is no mean to it, right? You you want more. Yes, you always want more. You always want more, and and it's a good thing, right? You you can't have a moderate pursuit of truth. That's right, right? And and so, um, and I wonder if our pursuit of pleasure was our pursuit of refined pleasure, especially in food also is immoderate in that the only thing, the only limit that's built into it is um, not feeling sick after you've eaten too much, right? You, you, want, you want more. I mean, there's, there's, there's no point at which you'll say, um, I've had enough good food. I've had more than my fair share of good food in life. I don't need any more, right? Um, your health, though, is right. Yeah, I mean that's we're, yeah, we're limited by. Mm -hmm. So I, I have found that I, um, I've had to be very m moderate um, with what I eat. Um, I, um, the older I get, even exercise can't mm -hmm. combat um, the inevitable um, process of aging, and mm -hmm. um, and you, it, it's not it's not just about being sick, it's about um, wanting to remain here and appreciate, be able to appreciate all the things outside of food that you have, such as friends and family. Um, I'm not sure if I'm. Yeah, no, I mean, it is right. I mean, I'm wondering if it's, if that, what you're describing sounds like prudence 
in the service of immoderation, you know, so it's, which is different from Sophro Sunni. That's right. Mm-hmm. So um, it makes me wonder whether, so in this dialogue, again, he doesn't talk about limits on food, sex, and that's not really the issue. Yeah. Maybe real moderation is, is not to be found in, in, maybe it's just a kind of vulgar moderation, moderation right. mm-hmm. that's uh, used as a means um, to have more. <laughs> <laughs> have as much as possible. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, f- I find as it's been about 20 years since I've eaten so much that I felt bad. And when I, but when I was young, I do it a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so at some point I decided I don't like this feeling. And so then I, then I've been trained to, to, to know when, if I go past this point, it's going to be bad. Yeah. Right? And, and so then I stop. But I wonder, what is that? Is that that's a kind of habituation through um, repeatedly encountering one's limits, right? But it's not the kind of balanced, harmonious character that is, that is Sophrosune, right? Right. And I think, you know, for me, again, that, that makes it clear that what we're talking about is a way of life and yeah. it's about thinking and self-knowledge right. that, and the, these other things are sort of, they can be shadows of that. Um, but there, there's a way in which there's a permanent gap because it's, so it's the eating, it's about a fear of consequences. The, that's something that you've experienced over and over again. Um, it's not really for the right reasons. It's not for rational yeah. reasons. Um, it's, it's fear. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. 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 And the and the fear might be one version of humility, right? It's not it's not necessarily the kind of humility we were talking about. Right. But this the, the the fear of somebody who has a rational appreciation of how much they don't know. So when they walk into a room or a new situation, they're cautious. They don't venture. They're wary. And that is a kind of humility, a kind of prudence. But it's not necessarily sophrosune, right? So because because that there's because sophrosune, I think, as we're describing it, is not it's not a negative virtue. It, it's one that that doesn't it, that is not just there to shield you from from harm, right. right? And I I think Plato would say that most people live their lives if they're doing the right thing. It's not for the right reasons. It's because of 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 usually fear, fear of punishment, fear of the law, fear, fear of consequences, and um, that's somehow necessary because people can't live this life for the most part. You have to be lucky. You have to have the right yeah. education. There's, there's a lot. It's amazing that um, in in ancient Greece we had Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle in this small amount amazing. of time. Mm-hmm. It's, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, um, it has to be part of it. Has to be luck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's no there's no formula for for um, creating a sort of human being who can live that sort of life who who desires what is good for them naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Sophosune then has to be a kind of um, sense of balance, right? A sense of harmony, not going overboard in one side, not losing your equilibrium in any particular direction, and in order to have that balance, you have to understand um, 
what you're balancing and yeah and and what do you have in mind um, well I had, I had in mind sometimes the the judicious person the person because you you brought the connection with with the cognitive ability right the so the the person who can go into say a meeting and get a good sense and a well-proportioned sense of all the things that are happening in the meeting as opposed to someone like me who'll go in a meeting and get and get fixated on something, mm-hmm. right? Or get hooked on, yeah, I don't like that person. I, I like that person. No, um, yes, I like that way of thinking. This happens to me at meetings too. Yeah, yeah you know, so, so, so where there's, you, so in, in the meeting or in the, or any situation that my tendency is to get um, uh, hung up on something mm-hmm. or, or, or drawn into something. And, and it might be that I eventually reach equilibrium because I go, I go from side to side, right? And, but the kind of person I'm thinking of doesn't do that. The kind of person who goes in just has a good sense, good sense, a good sense of proportion. Um, it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit like eating um, or, or even cooking a good meal where it has to, there has to be kind of balance involved. Like you, you don't go overboard with any one particular thing. There's harmony is the best way. I can say like when you're drinking fine wine, like all the elements are harmonious. Mm-hmm. So um, my experience at those, you know, I've learned over the years what I'm capable of in those meetings. So I simply have tended to stay, stay silent yeah. because um, I, because I can't, I, I can't get involved in in some of those particulars without um, embarrassing myself. <laughs> um, How's it like? So so again, what is the, what is what are we balancing though? Um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I mean the. Um, yeah, I mean, in those meetings, um, like my tendency is to be intemperate, mm-hmm. right? In some ways, and so which means that I get carried away by one thing and I forget something else. And certain other people appear to be able to keep everything in mind and to be able to weigh them judiciously mm-hmm. and then make a uh, and then make a good judgment. And I mean, or and they can they can usually also articulate what they're doing. Um, now. Right. What is this? You know, so, so it's as if that to do that, you have to carry a kind of harmony in your soul, a kind of harmony in your mind, where you're not, you don't have the tendency yeah. to tip over on one side or the other. So it sounds what uh, the balance that I'm beginning to wonder about is one of being able to step outside of yourself, get this sort of ecstasis, you, yeah. right, where you're able to step outside of yourself in order to preserve something about. What's most important about the self, and that re- just reminds me, um, I, I don't know if that's the kind of balance you're thinking about, but you have to um, be able to say, as I said, say goodbye to yourself in a certain way in order to not get caught up in yourself the way you're talking about. You do it mm-hmm. by you know focusing in on something and maybe being intemperate. I'm intemperate in another way. I back away and am completely silent. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't want to get involved in it. Um, yeah, and because we're self-reflective, after a while we realize that's happening, and so we can catch ourselves being intemperate in our in our mm-hmm. um, characteristic ways, right? And and then compensate for it some other way. Right. Yeah, but how, well, you're thinking that's like eating. It's like eating. I I, I had this um, every now and then. I get an experience with a with a good wine, mm-hmm. and I had one the other night that that um, where I could see it had four different kinds of taste in it mm-hmm. and I could feel them as I as I tasted this thing I'd, I could almost visually see the different components kind of 
spreading out and holding themselves in a kind of like as if with musical intervals between them. And I said, this is a good wine. This is a well-balanced wine and it's, uh, and it's satisfying. Um, but somebody else might not notice that. Somebody else might just go for the sweetness or go for the tartness mm-hmm. or something. But, but there's something about um, that, that ability to hold a, a harmony. And, and, I know, and I know that we can do this with books because we spend a lot of time doing books that we can get, we can get a sense of a whole book and the different elements of the whole book like that, you know, without, without being carried away by one particular aspect mm-hmm. because we've been trained. Because if we do get carried away, one of our readers or one of our interlocutors will catch us on it. Right. Right. And, and so over decades of training, I think we can do that with books, a kind of soft rasune in reading. Right. Being mm-hmm. able to step outside of our immediate yeah. concerns and see the book as a, as a comprehensive whole and um, understand that our particular interests might not be the best way to get at that yeah. particular whole. Um, yeah. Michael, you referred earlier about uh, how it is that um, Critias might misunderstand the nature of Sophrosune or twist it to his own ends even. Could, could you give me an example from the dialogue? Sure. Uh, and let me maybe um, give a little context to it. So Critias has been a follower of Socrates for many years. Socrates comes back from the war and once is in how what is the status of philosophy since I've left? What has happened to it since I've disappeared and and um, left it up to to you to to continue it? And Critias has been using in his argument many lines from Socrates or beliefs from Socrates from other Platonic dialogues and um, use them to the wrong sort of end. So there's one at um, 171D. So does he know he's doing this, or is, or does he think he's a follower of Socrates? He thinks he's a follower of Socrates. Um, and he thinks that you can just use the teachings out of context um, in order to understand or to develop your own sort of thinking. Um, and, he th- and he thinks that he's just you know, being Socratic. Mm-hmm. What Socrates challenges him is... Uh, the challenge is to show him that it's completely superficial and you're using it for your own ends. And what I'm teaching about moderation um, is, is, is already looking tyrannical. And so in a way, Plato is predicting, uh, or Socrates is predicting, that um, what my teaching has done has corrupted you in a certain sense. And um, so Critias has been trying to argue his way into showing that he's, he's not really just repeating or mimicking Socrates, he's really understood something. And he says at D, then what benefited Critias, I said, would still come to us from sound-mindedness if it is such as this. For if, as we were setting it down from the beginning, the sound-minded one knows both what he knows and what he does not know, that he knows the one and that he doesn't know the other, and if he were able to investigate someone else in the same state, it would be grandly beneficial to us, we assert, to be sound-minded. For we would live through life without error. We would ourselves and those who have sound-mindedness and all others who were ruled by us. For we ourselves would not attempt to do what we didn't have knowledge of, but would find those who had knowledge and hand it over to them. And to others whom we ruled, we would not turn over anything to be done except what they would do correctly when they did it. And this would be what they had a knowledge of. And the household managed by sound-mindedness by sound would be beautifully managed 
as would a city so governed, and everything else that sound-mindedness would rule. For with error taken away and correctness leading, it is necessary for those situated to do beautifully and well in every doing, and for those who do well to be happy. Isn't this, Critias, I said, what we were saying about the sound-mindedness? when we said how much of a good it would be to know both what someone knows and what he doesn't know. So I think there, Critias, Socrates is showing the, the implications of, of Critias's understanding of what's going on. It's about ruling without error, it's living a life without error and handing over certain things to people who have perfect knowledge of everything. And there's something that Socrates is, is showing us that um, makes that incompatible with real thought. Um, in a world where everything is beautiful, where everything is perfectly structured, which is what critics seems to want and, and has something to do with his tyrannical impulses, um, that's a world where thinking can't take place and therefore self-knowledge can't take place and therefore um, it's a world where there's, there's not anything like a human soul. It's, um, it's, it's a sort of a version of Plato's Republic, The City and Speech, which I read as not being what Socrates is really proposing. He's challenging those who want something like that beautifully ordered structure with perfect art. No, that's nice. Uh, Sound-mindedness here translates Sophrosune. Yes. Right? In, in the lower bits, it's temperate. Yeah. But, but, I, but I guess in, I, I, like, I, I like this because it, it, it's a little bit like those books that, that use, say, uh, Buddhist mindfulness. It's a mindfulness for, for business success or mindfulness for entrepreneurs, right? Where, where, the, where the virtue ends up being a, a tool of management, right? A strategic tool mm -hmm. um, whose right. main interest is, is to exert control. Right. I think, uh, to, yeah, to manage. And, and you're saying that, that Sophrosune can be twisted and thought of like that. If, it's, yeah. if it has something to do with knowledge of knowledge and knowledge of non-knowledge, the way it's presented here, um, it means having a perfect, um, a perfect knowledge of the structure of the whole in such a way that will allow you to have a perfectly ordered um, life that you can, um, that gives you power and mastery. I think for that, that's what Critias is. That's that's really helpful. So 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 to go back to the um, kind of gastronomic examples, the way the so, so the wonderful meal, right? right, or the or the glass of wine. Um, that part of the uh, sort of enjoyment, a large part of the enjoyment of the wonderful meal, with all its kind of ambient human context, is to be is to be receptive, is kind of to be open, by to all the elements as as they coexist. Right, it's not for management. It, it's right, but you, you want know. to make sure everyone is enjoying it, and you want to, um, and that leads you to want to take, so there's a temptation to yes. really want to take control, um, which might be why I, I never cook meals that are, I, I, I rarely use recipes. I, I think about who I'm serving and what the night is going to be like and the, the kind of balance of food that I would like to have. And it's very experimental. It's open-ended. Yeah, right. um, mm -hmm. And I, I know most chefs refuse to, to do it that way, perhaps. I, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so then that that gastronomic satisfaction is to be like open to the situation that's before you, right? And to be able to take it into account and not make it in your image. Yes, so. right, right. Which is exactly what 
Critias is doing with his understanding of Safrazuna. He's, 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 he thinks he's being open-minded and uh, he thinks it's about a kind of um, openness to, to the world, but it's really about closing it, putting it into, um, into a kind of perfect order, um, which is perhaps a tyrannical drive that all of us share on some level. I mean, our, our search to know might be that very, um, it might be a fear, have something to do with fear of not knowing rather than wanting to positively know. It, 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 it might be more about control yeah. than it is about um, desiring genuine knowledge. Um, and, and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Um, um, when we are, when we understand we don't know, is it, do we want control over our lives and do we want to run away from mm-hmm. the unknown or do we seek something positive? Yeah, yeah, Be- because we're controlled by our passions, right? right? And one of them is our fear. Yeah. Yeah. That might be the fear of the, the unknown may be the, the most powerful thing in our lives that we're always running from. Um, and somehow for Socrates, Safrazune, it's not about running away in fear. It's about embracing what we don't know. Um, it's love of the unknown rather than fear yeah, of the unknown. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the very valuable thing that eating gives us, right? The uh, a kind of overcoming of fear. The, yes. the, the Chinese traditionally see um, eating as linked with courage in that the courageous person will eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> as will I. Um, yeah, yeah. So is that, is that part of the secret of uh, loving food, loving cooking? It's, it's a way of exploring, a way of opening up to the world. That's um, eating at its best for me. That's, that's when, I'm, when I'm eating well, I'm exploring the world um, fearlessly. Um, and sometimes it doesn't go well. Um, there are things that are disgusting. <laughs> there are. Yeah. Um, but you have, to, you have to try it and um, be open to um, learning something new. Okay. Well, this might be a good place for us to end today, and I'm looking forward to our next meal together. I or hopefully something well. that um, we've never tried before. And bring that wine that you were talking about, please. I will bring it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. Thank you. Continuing the Conversation is a 20-episode web and podcast series produced by the St. John's College Communications Office in partnership with 12FPS and a Warehouse Productions. To continue the conversation with St. John's College, which offers a bachelor's degree in liberal arts, in-person and online master's degrees in liberal arts and Eastern classics, as well as summer academy for high school students and summer classics for lifelong learners, Go to sjc.edu.